Hey, welcome. So glad you're joining us this weekend. I'm Dan, and uh, I happen to be one of the pastors here at the Norton Camps of Grace Church, and love the fact that you're joining us, and I love that we can come into your living room, coffee shop, wherever you're watching this at. For some of you, you call Grace Church your home, and uh, I love that we can stay connected this way, and so it's good to be able to do that. For some of you, you're from other states, and you've kind of communicated with us. I had a conversation with a couple from Arizona this last week, and uh, they kind of connect with us every week, and so I'm glad we can do that, right, and stay connected. And if that is you, we'd love to hear from you, just how uh, this is kind of impacting you, but glad you're joining us. I'd love it if you have a Bible. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. We're in this conversation. We're going to continue it. It's a conversation that we've taken through the whole book of 1 Thessalonians. And here's what I want to talk to you about today. Ready? The end is near. <laughs> Buckle up. Like if I said that to you, your, your ears would perk up. You would get alert, right? Why? Because we have this fascination. In fact, I would say even some people are obsessed with this whole idea of the end of the world. Like when will the end of the world come? How will it go down? There's been a lot of interesting theories over the years, and maybe you remember some of these, right? Uh, anybody out there remember the 1910 Halley's Comet? Raise your hand. If you just raised your hand, I'd love to meet you. That makes you about 120 years old. But 1910, end of the world's coming, right? Halley's Comet heading right to Earth. And they were saying, even if it misses the Earth, right, maybe the tail and the gas from the tail of the comet would somehow affect and bring the world to an end or... So most of you are like, ah, I don't remember that, never even heard of that, right? Well, let's go more modern. Anybody remember Y2K? Everything's going to come to an end, right? You go from December 31st, 1999, all of a sudden turn the calendar, and what's the computer going to do with the zeros and all that kind of stuff? Power grid's going down. End of the world is going to come. People are going to stockpile things and get ready with all that kind of stuff. Or maybe you remember this one, December 21st, 2000. 12, right? The Mayan calendar said there's going to be this cataclysmic event. It's going to bring the end of the world. Or maybe even more common is the 2018 blood moons and books were written about it. Maybe whatever it is, there are all kinds of theories about the end of the world, right? From scorched earth theory to the next ice age to robots taking over the zombie apocalypse, right? These super volcanoes. Uh, there's even this theory that says this gray goo is going to kind of take over. End of the world is going to happen. Uh, some of you would know this. You would just know this already that there's this thing called the doomsday clock, Maybe you heard about it, right? I don't know. But this doomsday clock, the Bulletin of the Atomic Scientist <clears throat> said in 2021, this year, that the doomsday clock, so it kind of counts down to doomsday, it remains at 100 seconds to midnight. By the way, you get to midnight, that's doomsday, right? And they said that the events of the last year, year and a half are primarily to blame for how close we are to doomsday. Interesting stuff, right? Uh, our fascination with the end of the world can, and it does, elicit all kinds of responses, right? Mockery, uh, people ignore it. The whole way to curiosity, well, that's interesting, right? And then there's some people that just downright believe it, right? Whatever it is, whatever the theory is, they believe it. And it causes them to build bunkers and stockpile pile food and weapons, 
Uh, it even leads to, I don't know if you remember the TV show, The Doomsday Preppers, right? Do you remember that? National Geographic series, I think it was 2011 or something like that, uh, where these guys, that's what they did. I was getting ready for the end of the world to come. I'm going to stockpile food, going to stockpile weapons so that we're ready for doomsday. Leads to all kinds of odd behavior. It can even lead to some dangerous cults, right? Uh, you maybe even would recognize some names. If I just said them, I was just rattled them on like Jim Jones. Some of you are old enough to remember that probably, right? David Koresh, Heaven's Gate, even lead to some <clears throat> really sad stories recently. Maybe you've heard this in the news, right? The couple who killed their children. And they killed their children because they belonged to a doomsday cult that somehow told them that what they needed to do was kill their children. His fascination uh, has all kinds of responses. And you know what's, I think, I don't know, unfortunate maybe, is that Christians, even Christ followers, have gotten in on the act some. They've made predictions. Uh, most of the Christian people who've gotten in on the act, they're, they're not uh, necessarily saying how because there's a lot of agreement on how, but their focus is on the when, predicting when Jesus is going to come back, right? And so they make predictions, and that prediction leads to chaos and fear and sometimes misdirected zeal. And might I say it also leads to material for mockery. It's kind of hard to hear somebody who speaks with authority that Jesus is going to come back in 1976, and here we are in 2021, <laughs> right? And what happens is all of a sudden... All of a sudden, it, it causes this idea of the end and where are things going to be something that either we look at with skepticism or we just ignore, we can't understand, or we look at with fear. Now, here's what I want you to know. It isn't that the end doesn't matter, and it isn't that it doesn't deserve our attention, because I would say this, what you believe about the end, the end of time, the end of the world, determines how you live now. And what you believe about the end helps you figure out why what you do now matters now. See, here's what I know. When we look at 1 Thessalonians, the wrong question is when. Let me say that again. Some of you probably need to hear this. The wrong question is when. I heard a pastor, somebody recognized his name, Alistair Begg, he said this, a preoccupation with chronology, when, without proper theology, will always lead to mythology. I love that. I love that. Uh, what he's saying is it's the wrong question, but the right question might be this. What do we do and what can we know? Here, here's how I would say it. What do we know about then, the end, and how does that affect how I live now? That's exactly the conversation Paul's having. Why do I tell you all that? Same thing he's having in 1 Thessalonians. Same conversation he's having with a church he cared about, he loved, he planted, he was kicked out of town, and he's talking to them saying, you're a model church. Your faith, your hope, your love are the things that I see in you, and yet there's some things that I have to address, and this is one, because there's theories and misconceptions floating around. So Pastor Aiden led us in the first part of this last week, right? 1 Thessalonians 4 to the end of the chapter leads us in the first part of this conversation. Let's pick it up chapter 5, verse 1 today. Here's what he says. 
Paul says to this group he loves, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them. Suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, they won't escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us, children of the day, be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Paul simply addressing some myths and misconceptions that were floating around. And these myths and misconceptions, these conjectures had led to misdirected living just like it does now, it did then. And there, Paul wants us to know there is a ton, listen close, that we don't know. <laughs> Be careful, people like, we know. There's a ton we don't know. But in this passage, here's the key. There are some things we can know. And, and there are three that strike me that I think are worth kind of fleshing out. Get a pen, let's write some things down. The first is this. I can know, I can know, according to this passage, that the day of the Lord is coming. Uh, he says it right here. He says, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we don't need to write to you, for you know very well, he says, here it is, that the day of the Lord will come. Paul says it's not about when, don't need to write about dates and times, he said, but here's what you know, and you know it very well, day of the Lord will come, is coming. Now that leads to two questions that we need to answer. Here's the first question, okay? Here's the first question. What in the world is the day of the Lord? Right? We don't know, right? We use that term. Like some of you grew up in church, like the Lord's day. That's Sunday. It's coming, right? This is a whole different deal. What is the day of the Lord? It's a term that's used. It's mentioned a lot in the Old Testament, occasionally in the New Testament. It's a term that refers to, in general, it refers to the divine judgment of God on sin, and then the subsequent blessing that follows, right? That's what it refers to. And so in the Old Testament, he's talking a lot to Israel, and he's saying, I'm going to kind of jump into the scene here, the day of the Lord, and there's this moment, this time, where he's going to execute divine judgment a lot of times on the nations that surround and the sin that was so prevalent, right? And then there's blessing that follows. Let me show you one out of the book of Isaiah. Here's what he says. He says, for see, here it is, the day of the Lord. There it is, is coming. The terrible day. So it's not like, oh man, of his fury and his fierce anger, the land will be made desolate and all the sinners destroyed. The heavens will be black above them. The stars will give no light. The sun will be dark when it rises and the moon will provide no light. It's like, this is ominous, right? It's a sobering thought, right? The day of the Lord. 
It's found many places in the Old Testament. You can write these down if you like. Ezekiel chapter 13, Joel chapter 1, 2, and 3, Amos 5. If you like to dig into that, you can, you can look at it. Here's what the day of the Lord, it describes any moment when God suddenly interrupts the normal flow of life. He breaks into time and space and it describes his judgment on sin. And, and all through the Old Testament, it talks about there's these little days of the Lord, but all of those in the Old Testament are pointing, stay with me, to this big day of the Lord that we see talked about in the New Testament. And here's what Peter has to say about it. He says, but you must not forget this one thing. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, right? He doesn't keep time, kind of like we think about it. A thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. Why doesn't God step in, right? You ever think that? I have, Come on, he's slow. That's not, that's not what's going on. No, he's being patient for your sake. Why? He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He doesn't want anyone to perish. That's God's heart. But wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come. As unexpectedly as a thief, then the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise. The very elements themselves will disappear in fire. And the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. There's the day of the Lord. This God who doesn't want any to perish, this gracious, good God, judges sin. From the very beginning of God's story, God has never turned a blind eye to sin. You just need to know that. God is always dealing with sin. You want him to, by the way. That's what makes him holy and righteous and pure. It also is what makes him loving. And so this God, he always deals with sin. And so when we get to 1 Thessalonians, the day of the Lord that, that Paul and now Peter's talking about is, is that he's going to deal with sin once and for all. Uh, you're saying, help me understand that. Well, let, let's look at it this way. Let me show you a couple pictures, try to make sense of this. Uh, I think what Paul was helping us see that we have, when you think about the day of the Lord, don't think about a 24-hour day but think about an age, an era. And so we live in the present day or the present age. And there's an age to come the Bible talks about, a day to come. So you have the present day and the day to come. The thing that stands between the present day and the day to come is what Pastor Aiden taught us last week, the second coming of Jesus. Jesus is coming back. Now here's what Pastor Aiden taught us. He said this, that the second coming of Jesus has two stages. Those two stages are what we talked about last week, the rapture of the church, where, where Jesus literally comes in the clouds and calls away, snatches away the church. And then you have the return and reign of Jesus as king, setting up his kingdom here on, the, on earth. And people have all kinds of opinions about how those two fit together, and, and this becomes a sliding scale. Some people say, well, that, that happens right after the rapture, and this happens here, and here's my best shot, and I hope you understand the day of the Lord. My best shot is this. 
that when you think about the church being raptured, that the very next thing that take, takes place is this thing you read about in Revelation 6 through 19, the tribulation. And I think that's where we have this idea of the day of the Lord. You see these, these bowls and trumpets, the judgment of God being poured out. The church is raptured and there's seven years of tribulation where God's dealing with sin. But King Jesus is going to come back. Why? Because God says, I'm, I'm not going to, Aiden taught us this, I'm not going to let sin in. Got to deal with sin. And he's going to make everything new. You see what I'm saying? He's the king. That's the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. He will deal with sin. Which leads to the second question then that I think Paul answers. How will it come? How will it come? And when you look back at 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, well, here's how it's going to come. Brothers and sisters, don't need to write about times and dates. You know very well, day of the Lord will come. So it's going to come. Well, how's it going to come? Like a, here it is, thief in the night. How does a thief do his business? Usually it's at night and it's unexpected. If you're taking notes, write these two words down somewhere. When he says it's going to come like a thief in the night, here's what I think he's saying. It's, it's secret and unexpected. I think that's what he's saying. I remember the church I was at before, uh, before I lived in Ohio. We had a thief break in and steal some stuff, right? We had a thief break in and steal. I went into work the next day and it was obvious that somebody had been there. Right? We had windows that were broken. We had things that were taken. I mean, it was obvious a thief had come in the night. Can I tell you about that thief? Now listen close. He didn't schedule an appointment. We didn't know he was coming. I, I, I couldn't tell you, hey, you know, 8 o'clock tonight, such and such thief is going to come and steal some stuff from our church. I couldn't tell you that, right? It was unexpected. It was secret. That's how a thief does his business. Now, what's interesting about the thief at our, at our church was he got caught the next day. Why? Because he came back in the daytime to return something he felt kind of bad. <laughs> and he tried to sneak in to return it. It was somebody I had a relationship with. So he came in the daytime and he got caught. That's not the way a thief works, right? But a thief comes at night. I think what he's saying is this is that Jesus is saying the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night, secret and unexpected. Let's, let me just say this and then move on. That's, this passage, among others, is the very reason that I think speculating on when is silly. If you hear somebody saying, here's when Jesus is coming back, it's silly. He tells us all over the place. He comes like a thief in the night. In fact, Jesus in another part of Scripture says, the Son of Man doesn't even know. And so you hear a preacher on your favorite station telling you he knows the date. That man is telling you something that Jesus himself said he doesn't even know. Son of Man doesn't. It's silly. And yet books are written about him. People get all, you know, this, that, and everything. Right? Be careful. It comes like a sudden secret and unexpected. But that's not what he says. He says, it comes like a thief in the night. And then he says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. Is there anybody listening to me can relate with that imagery? <laughs> Right? If you're a fella, don't put your hand up, okay? 
Yeah, you're gonna get in trouble, right? I mean, labor pains. What, what do we know about labor pains? Well, you know, I mean, if, if, if you've ever had kids, you know a lot about labor pains. I remember uh, when our second child came, Rachel, right? Uh, we had gone through the first and uh, had those Braxton Hicks things. I remember we walked so many floors and, you know, thought this was it. And so when the second came, I thought, we're a lot wiser, right? We know exactly when to go and what to do and whatever. And so I was coaching football at the time and I was going to practice. My mother-in-law happened to be in town. And uh, I remember I went to practice and I said to her, hey, if something happens, Jennifer was nine months pregnant with Rachel. I said, if something happens, you know, just come down and get me. And, you know, I remember from Joel, no big deal. We're going to, you know, plenty of time. And I remember I'm coaching my boys in football, just coaching the team. And all of a sudden, I saw out of the corner of my eye this green car coming like Dukes of Hazard right through the football field. It's my mother-in-law. She drove right on the field. She says, it's coming. It's coming, right? And so I thought to myself, done this before I got home. I thought, I'm going to get some supper, take a shower. And my wife says to me, she says, if we don't go now, we're, you're going to deliver this baby. What was she saying to me? Labor pains are sudden, like it's happening, and they're unavoidable, right? If you get yourself in that state, I'm going to tell you something, labor pains are coming, right? That's what he's saying. Here's, here's what he's saying, because it's important we're going to say something here. Okay. He's saying that the day of the Lord is secret and unexpected. It's not like it's scheduled. Be careful those who tell you they know exactly the date. And, and, and even be careful of those who are preoccupied with pinning a date. And then he says it's sudden and unavoidable. It's, like, it's not like you can avoid it. Here's the big idea. He's coming. He is coming. Ready or not, he's coming. That makes me think of a game I used to play with my kids. Maybe you have. Any of you out there ever play hide and seek? Just kind of raise your hand. Ever play hide-and-seek? Play hide-and-seek with your kids, right? Um, my kids used to love to play hide-and-seek. We'd play hide-and-seek. We, we adapted a game called it Monster, where when I found one, you know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, love hide-and-seek, right? I used to lead young adults here and uh, at, at our campus, and uh, the funny thing is, even when kids become young adults, they like to play hide-and-seek. We used to play here in the church. Don't tell anybody, right? It's kind of a cool place to play. And uh, But here's the way you play hide-and-seek. What do you play? What do you do? Say, hey, somebody's it. And they say, I'm going to count. And then you all go hide. And your job is to go hide. And my job is to count because I'm coming. All right? And so you would count. And if I'm the one who's it, I'm counting. And when I get done counting, what do I say? Ready or not, here I come. Jesus already wants us to know he's coming. But at least the second thing Paul wants us to know, and that's this, and I want you to write it down. The fact of the matter is I can know whether I'm ready for him to come. He's coming. <laughs> ready or not, I can know whether I'm ready. Hey, let me show you what I mean. Let's just look at this. This is so important. Lean in. Lean in on this. I can know that I'm ready for him to come, verse 4, but you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day should surprise you like a thief. He's saying there's you because you're children of the light, children of the day. He's saying we don't belong to the night 
So let us not be like others. There's people who are part of the night and they're asleep. So he says there's us and they. There's children of the light and there's children of the dark. Children of the light are awake. Children of the dark are asleep. He says some are ready and some are not. That's what he's saying. Uh, look here a second. He's saying to them, some are ready, some are not. I'm saying to you, he's coming. Some of you are ready. But honestly, some of you are not. Well, how do I know how to be ready? Well, look down at verse 9. For God did not appoint us who are ready to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, how did he do that? He died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The wrath of God, appointed to suffer wrath, what is that? Well, at its minimum level, it's God giving man over to the natural consequences of his sinful choices, but it is the divine judgment of a holy and loving God. The same God who's not willing for any to perish is a God who's holy and righteous and pure. And at the end of the day, at the end of the day, he's a God who not only gives man over to the natural consequences of his sin, but he's a God who is the divine judge. I love, for some of you, that's hard. Just let that sit for a minute. For some of you, that's hard. I thought God was love. He is. Well, how can then God have this part of him, the wrath of God? I love what Tim Keller says. He says, there are a lot of people who struggle mightily with this whole idea. Maybe you do, and it's okay to struggle. They say if God is a God of love, then he would never send or allow people to go to hell. If God's a God of judgment, then he can't be a God of love. And people will say, I can't reconcile the two things. Here's what Tim Keller says. Yet the Bible insists that not only is God a God of both of love, but also of wrath. Not only do those two things not conflict with each other, but they actually, this is key, establish each other. One without the other is nonsense. One without the other is meaningless. Listen close to what, what, what he says. If you actually try to somehow extract, remove surgically the Christian message of the wrath and judgment of God, what you actually have is nothing left at all. Where's the good news? You see, ready or not, here he comes. Now, here's what I know. Some of us are ready, some of us are not. When he comes, he'll either find us ready or he'll find us not. Let me say it this way. When he comes, he'll either find us trying to hide from him or he'll find us hidden with Christ. Let me show you a passage. Just, you ought to write this down, look it up. He says, for you've died, and your life is, here it is, hidden 
with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What's the secret to being ready? The secret is being hidden with Christ. Whether or not I'm ready depends totally on what I believe about the story of Jesus and the cross. Let's go back to our picture. Let me show you. I think the point is this, is that here is where you and I live in this present age. And it has everything to do with what we believe about the cross. Because the Jesus who is coming already came. And he came because God loves us. And when Jesus died on the cross, what he did was he absorbed in his body the divine judgment for my sin and yours. He died for our sin. And when I say yes to Jesus, I'm hidden with Christ. And here's what happens. My sin is completely on him. And guess what? He covers me in his righteousness. That's what it means. Ready or not, here I come. And it's, have I said yes to Jesus? Is my life hidden with him? You see, I can either run from God. I can either try to hide from God. Isn't that what Adam and Eve did at the very beginning of the story? God shows up. After they sin, what did they do? They try to hide. And, and God, right at the beginning of the story, he calls to them, and then he covers them. But an animal died in order for that to happen. And there began the sacrificial system, right? Till you get to Jesus. And Jesus died, why? Because he is the ultimate covering for our sin. You see, ready or not, he is coming. And you can know whether you're ready. And whether you're ready has everything to do with whether or not, not your life is hidden with Christ. Here's the way Romans says it, Philip's translation. Proof of God's amazing love is this. As while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Moreover, so this is love. If he died, if he did that for us while we were sinners, now that we are men justified by the shedding of his blood, what reason have we to fear the wrath of God? I don't need to. Why? Because here's what I want, to, I want you to know, and then we'll move on. The wrath of God, let's go back to that picture a second. The wrath of God for Dan Gregory will either be dealt with here, where Jesus took it in my place, the day of the Lord. That's what Paul's saying. For those who've said yes to Jesus, I don't need to fear that. That's the grace and love of God. He took it. Why? He's not willing for me to perish. He's not willing for you to perish. The wrath of God, his divine judgment for sin, all sin will be handled either at the cross or at the day of the Lord. And here's what the one who is coming already came. Now, here's how he ends. Because I'm ready and I'm a child of the light, there's a third thing I can know that 1 Thessalonians 5 tells me. Right? I can know the day of the Lord's coming. I can know whether I'm ready or not. And then he says this, I can know how to live in the meantime. I can know how to live in the meantime. Now let me show you what he says, and this is how we'll end. He says, okay, so in light of that, 
then he makes this, this juxtaposition, this, this contrast. He said there's, there's children of the day and there's children of night. There's, there's people who are, who are awake and people who are asleep. There's people who are sober, people who are drunk. Here's what he says. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober. He says, I can know how to live because I'm ready and I know he's coming. And here's what he says. I'm either drunk or I'm sober. Let me say it this way. You are either living drunk or sober. You're like, well, man, I'm not really into alcohol. No, that's not what I'm talking about, right? He's using a figure of speech. That's a different sermon, right? What he's saying here is that children of the day are awake and sober while children of the night are asleep and drunk. And he's saying, if I am a child of the day, I'm ready, watching, and waiting. But if I'm not watching and waiting and ready, I'm going to get drunk. And I'm going to live like somebody of the night who's asleep and drunk. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean? Well, I'm going to live and I'm going to be inebriated with anxiety. You see what I'm saying? Like, I'm going to be inebriated. I start to live all worried. What's this world coming to? Right? Running around like a chicken with my head cut off. Driven by fear, fixated on watching the news. Now, some of you, and you would say I'm a follower of Christ, are so fixated on watching the news and you're worried. The market's crashing and this politician said this and I saw this and it's like, what's going on? And so inebriated, living like a child of the night with anxiety. Or maybe inebriated with anger, Right? Inebriated with anger. What I mean is all of a sudden, the people who disagree with me, people who wouldn't call themselves followers of God, I start yelling at them. I start yelling at the people God loves. I get ticked off when people act like they don't know God. And the strange thing is, I get ticked off at people who don't know God because they're acting like people who don't know God. Or I become intoxicated with the temporary. I get drunk on everything this world has to offer, right? You know what I mean with that? I get fixated on building my brand and piling up my possessions and kind of stockpiling my stuff. That's, that's what I do. And what happens when you get a little tipsy, when you get a little drunk? You, you become not alert. You're not able to walk a straight line. You're, you're not aware of what's going on. You're not able to function. You can't do the things that you were meant to do. That's what happens. And that's not what happens with children of the day. Those who know that the day of the Lord is coming and they're ready know how to live now. And that's why he says this. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night, those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, he said there's three things we know in terms of how to live. He says, let us be sober. What's he saying? He's saying, wake up. Children of the day live alert. That's what he's saying. They're sober. That's what the word sober means, that I can have perspective. I'm not sleepwalking. I'm, a, I'm aware. I'm alert. For the follower of Jesus, they're alert. Alert to what? Listen, listen. They're alert to the fact that we're in a battle. It is an all-out war going on. Many Christians are sleepwalking when there is a war. 
But our war isn't like we think. Some of us think the war is against culture, against those people and them people. That's not it. You're fighting the wrong war if that's what you're fighting. Paul said our war is literally against the spiritual forces of evil. He says this in Ephesians. He says, we're fighting not against flesh and blood, enemies, but against evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor. Our battle isn't against them, but it's against Satan, his army. And that's why... Paul goes on in 1st Thessalonians and he says, since, since that, he says, be sober. And then he says, put on faith, the breastplate uh, of faith and the breastplate of love. I think what Paul is, it's like interesting to me. He's like, he's like, I think he maybe has in his mind a Roman soldier, maybe an officer. And he's looking at his army. He's like, okay, I'm alert that, that we're in this war and that Satan is loving, taking kind of hostage and victim. He's taking ground, right? He loves dividing. Satan loves accusing. Satan and his army loves when people begin bickering, when they get misfocused. Satan loves it when they get inebriated on the temporary, when all of a sudden they become intoxicated with anxiety. Satan loves it when Christians in particular get so drunk on anger that they're yelling at everybody. He loves that. He's taking ground. So what Paul is saying is like, hey, put on this breastplate, the, the Roman sword. And he says, and I want that breastplate to be love and faith. What's he saying? He's saying not only wake up, but he's saying guard your heart. Guard your heart. Because what guards your heart is going to guide your life. Write that down somewhere. What guards your heart is going to guide your life. And, and here's what he says. Let faith guard your heart. That's the way we fight, guys. How do we fight uh, the, the, the cynicism and the sarcasm and the, the unbelief and the doubt? With faith. You know what faith is? We take God at his word. Not just because it's the Bible, because it's the very word of God. And I'm going to trust the God of the word. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to trust him. Even when I don't totally understand that's what he's saying. Guard your heart. I'm going to trust him even when the majority of people around me aren't. I trust him. He said, that's how we fight. I, I, I'm going to believe that the one who started the whole story is going to bring the story to an end, and so he's the one I'm going to follow in the middle. That's what he's saying. And he says, I want you to put on the, the breastplate of love. What's that? It's not some fairy dust, sentimental, like hallmark, everything's going to turn out, right? What he's saying is, I want you to leverage your life for the sake of others, just like I did. To love like we've been loved by him. Do you know one way to tell if we're sober or drunk spiritually? you know one way to know if you're sober or drunk spiritually? If you're a follower of Christ, listen to what I'm going to say. When I see people who are lost acting like people who are lost without Jesus, I gotta ask myself, do I lose my mind and maybe my temper? Or does my heart break? You see, when all of a sudden I'm drunk, love isn't the 
breastplate that's guarding my heart. It's not guiding my life. I don't let my heart get jaded and angry, proud and prickly. This, that's how we fight. That's how the follower of Christ fights. They fight anger and, and hatred with love. Why? Because it's not some sentimental love that's just like, oh, we just acquiesce to everything. But it's a love who recognizes that there is a holy God who's not willing for any to perish. And that holy God is so not willing that he gave up his entire life to make sure that was possible. And then he says this, and the, the hope of salvation is a helmet. He's saying, wake up, guard your heart. And he says, keep your head about you. He's like, get your head right. It's not this, Aiden taught us this last week, it's not an optimism, just like, oh, everything's going to turn out right. But it's this expectation that the God who saved me is coming. That's what he's saying. The God who saved me from my sin, saved me for a purpose, into a promise. And that's going to happen, and I expect that. So what's it mean to keep my head? Well, I think Paul, back in that passage in Colossians we looked at earlier, says it this way. Here's what it means to, to, to have the helmet of hope. Since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not simply the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your life, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. He's saying, I want you to keep your head about you. Which leads Paul at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5 to say this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you're doing. What Paul was saying is this message sounds kind of sobering, right? Wrath of God, day of the Lord. It's like, oh man. I remember they used to show movies when I was a kid and uh, about this kind of stuff, and you always leave afraid, like it scare, scare you to death. And, and Paul's like, "You're reading this wrong. Everything we just talked about for the follower of Jesus is something that ought to encourage us, and then ought to build us up. First, it ought to encourage us that the day of the Lord's coming." But the way it ought to build us up is I gotta ask myself this, and I want you to ask yourself this question. I want you to do this. When you turn this off, I want you to ask yourself, if you're somebody who's a follower of Christ, are you living drunk or sober? Are you inebriated with anxiety and anger? Are you intoxicated with temporal things? You're so focused on the temporary things that you've lost sight of the fact that the one who began it's gonna end it and he's got the plan for in the middle of it. Are you awake? Are you asleep? Are you alert? Are you aware? Does love and faith guard your heart? Do you have your head about you? And then for some of you that are watching this and you're not a follower of Christ, here's the deal. He is coming, ready or not. But you can turn this off today knowing that you're ready. And the answer to being ready is simply, what am I going to do with Jesus? Has my life hidden in his? Have I exchanged my sin for his righteousness? He died because he loves you. 
and his death absorbed the divine judgment of God and sin in your place. And his invitation is to you because God's not willing for any to perish. And so God, I'm thankful that Paul took time to write this. And I pray for that person that's watching this right now who is not ready. Their life is not hidden with Christ. That this moment, in this space, they would simply cry out to you and say, God, I believe I am a sinner, that you love me, and that Jesus died for me. In this moment, in this place, in my living room, cafe, car, I want to say yes to Jesus as the only one who can save me from my sin, as the only one who can walk me into the family of God, and the only one who can save me for this hope and this life that you promised. And then God, for plenty that are watching this who would say, I'm a follower of Christ, I pray that you would help us to be sober with guarded hearts. Men and women who keep our head about us in the middle of a world, in the middle of a world, that is constantly looking for peace and safety. And I pray that in doing that, we would shine lights really bright on you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.